Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and as always, I am joined by the man who has been annoying his family all week because he's been practising his Frank Sidebottom impressions. <laughs> it's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Uh, I'm okay. I'm alright. I'm, uh, I've, I've discovered something this weekend because my cousin is here. From My cousin works in Afghanistan normally, but the his contract is coming to an end there because the Americans are pulling out of Afghanistan under Joe Biden. So his job has come to an end. So he's had a few days in Dubai and we went for a brunch on Friday. And it's fair to say that a lot of alcohol was taken, all quite quickly. <laughs> Luckily, my wife was with us too, so she was able to get me home safely and um, I felt dreadful yesterday morning like one of the worst hangovers I've had for a really really long time and I'm still feeling a bit walking wounded today just you know like I don't know just like a really thirsty shoulders are sore and everything so I think finally I've got to an age now where hangovers serious hangovers can last two days I don't, that's I, a quite a statement wish, that I mean I know I wouldn't wish it terrible anyway. a two day hangover two oh, day I mean man, yeah that's not good I know I know so I mean, I've, I've been to work today I've been productive and everything I've just I've, I've battled through I think I'll be I'll be getting an early night tonight I think and then obviously it's, it's a holiday here so I can I can sleep in a wee bit tomorrow and I can I can recover properly Properly. Although I'll probably, probably end up having a beer before I go to bed tonight and because I'm off tomorrow. <laughs> have a couple of beers, end up watching a couple of movies, go to bed too late. <laughs> what about you? Just regret it all tomorrow. Regret it all. I'm all good, yeah. All good. Uh, have you been drinking lots of Iron Brew to try and quell the hangover? I did have an Iron Brew yesterday. I bought a couple of cans of Iron Brew on Thursday night with my daughters. Um, I bought them. I bought them one each, and I bought myself one. But I hid my one in the fridge. So we've got a top. We've got mm. a, we've got a plastic tub in the fridge that we keep like cheese and stuff in. So I can, and it's just the right height to obscure a can, an iron brew size can <laughs> at the back of the fridge. So I. I hid it in the back there, and uh, they they had theirs on Thursday night, and I knew that if I knew if I put mine in kind of general population, it would disappear. And I must have had a bit of a epiphany that I would need that iron brew on Saturday. Oh, very good, mm. fantastic. Uh, now, what's that I can hear? <laughs> I think I can hear the dulcet tones of the Bay City Rollers. Do we have a little Shang-A-Lang update this week, Greg? We do, we do. I'll give a little bit more of the story. I should probably recap, because it's been a few weeks, or a few episodes rather, since uh, I told the first part of the story, but... The year is 2000, uh, Christmas time in Aberdeen. You and I uh, and our other close friend had gone to the illicit still on one night between Christmas and New Year. Very cold, archetypal Aberdeen, northeast of Scotland, winter's evening. We'd gone into the bar for a few drinks. No real plan, I don't think, as to where the evening would take us. I think we got as far as planning that we'd go to the still and have a few beers. Often the best nights are the unplanned ones. Our mutual friend. Now, the last time, I need to make a bit of an edit, because the last time I told this story, I said that our mutual friend was trying to crack on to the barmaid. But that wasn't actually true. I was doing that to protect him because at that point he hadn't come out so the actual truth was that he had a few drinks and he was trying to crack on to a very camp bartender 
who used to work near this at Still. An, Amer- an American guy who we can probably name, because I don't think he lives in Aberdeen anymore, but an American mixed race guy called So, when it became apparent that wasn't interested in our mutual friend, we decided that we would go down to what was then Aberdeen and perhaps even Scotland's premier nightclub on the beach, Amadeus. The scene of many victories and many disgraces of a lot of people that we know over the years. So, as I mentioned before, it was very cold. We didn't, we could have walked down uh, the Beach Boulevard to Aberdeen, but we decided that we would, uh, the Beach Boulevard to Amadeus, I should say, but we decided that we would get a taxi. So we walked up to Backwind, the taxi rank beside the cemetery, and the queue was massive. We had left it too late. So I suggested, why don't we walk up to the D Street taxi rank because I live near there and it is often, or in those days, it was often a bit quieter because it, it, it almost sits in between the Chapel Street and the backwind ranks, almost. I think it's a wee bit closer, well, a wee bit closer to Chapel Street, I guess. So we walked up there. There was a reasonable queue, but it seemed to be moving quite well. And I think this is where we got to the last time, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. So as we were waiting in the line, I, I don't know about you or our mutual friend, but I was, I was absolutely bursting for a piss. And the thing was, I lived... Uh, on Gord, I live quite close to D Street. I live just above the Galleria Shopping Centre, and I could almost see, like, I could almost see my front door. And I was thinking, I wonder if I could just run in, go for a piss, and be back before the boys get to the front of the taxi. But before I could make a decision, a silver BMW being driven recklessly came tearing down the street and crashed into the bollards in front of what was then an Asian restaurant. I can't remember what it was called, uh, but right at the front of the taxi queue. Before we could process this, we saw a driver. Driver, the driver, getting out of the car. He looked like a bit of a middle-aged fella wearing a kind of sports coat. And he went right to the front of the taxi queue, much to our outrage, and he seemed to get a taxi straight away. And he drove away, leaving his mangled BMW smoking in front of the, or steaming or whatever, in front of the restaurant. And off he went. The whole taxi queue is stunned into a bit of silence. No one can quite believe it. We discuss it. All, all, all during this, I'm absolutely bursting for a piss, right? Now, I don't know why I'm making such a big point of this because I didn't piss myself or anything like that. (laughs) But anyway, we finally got to the front of the taxi queue and we got down to Amadeus. In case anybody's worried, as soon as we got in, I made it into the toilet, went for a piss. There was no crisis. And I think that's all I'll tell of this story at this point. But there's more to come. There's much more to come because that wasn't the end of our evening. But I think I'll I'll keep everybody in in anticipation of the next update. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for that. And I'll look forward to finding out what happens next. I'm so glad that we got to hear that you were able to go for a piss. Yes. I I was really worried about that. I mean, I I was there, but I I, I was worried about that. (laughs) Wonderful. I know. know. Yep. Well, thanks very much. You're welcome. So, shall we have a look at the news? Let's have a look at some news. Cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, so have you seen anything this week from Scotland that has caught your eye, Greg? Uh, I have. I've got two stories. They're both from the Scottish Sun, and I think regular listeners who maybe don't buy the Scottish Sun will agree that they're the sort of stories that you find in the Scottish Sun which don't seem to make it into the daily record. But this one, the headline reads, Shaken, in capital letters, Shaken Scots Airbnb hosts horrified after guests ordered bags of crystal milk 
meth so their press <laughs> went home wow and, yeah let me get down the story a wee bit there's lots of there's loads of pictures here so a middle-aged couple are alleged to have ordered the package to the property in East Ayrshire during their stay last month. They stayed from June the 21st to June the 26th, but they left before the package arrived. Shocking images show two small plastic bags of a white, crystallised substance. Another photo shows a shiny black envelope which the alleged drugs came in. Further screenshots show a response from Airbnb, who are said to be currently investigating the case. In a post online, the host, who wishes to remain anonymous, he doesn't want to put people off booking his... Uh, <laughs> in his Presswick Airbnb. He said, mm. he said, well, it's confirmed by police that this is a controlled drug. It was sent to our address for a guest who left before it arrived. The police can't do anything because the guest hasn't handled it in any way. I wanted it off the streets and I disposed of it properly. You can, a uh, bit of ambiguity about that statement there. We don't know if the host has flushed it down the toilet or burned it. We've no idea. The, the visitors had alerted the hosts that they were getting an SD card delivered to the property during their stay. Do people still use SD cards? I thought everything was in the yeah. cloud these days, do they? I'd, I'd imagine for like a digital camera or something, then yeah. Do people, people, people still use digital cameras? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. if you're a photographer oh, I suppose yeah. yeah if you're a if you're a crystal meth smoking photographer you might need an SD yeah. card take some photos of your crystal meth yeah the pair then checked out on Saturday June the 26th but their package still hadn't arrived when the hosts went to clean the property they were shocked to find white powder and stains across the sofa as well as a pungent smell in the living room that lurked for weeks afterwards the owners say that a small package came in the post thinking nothing of it they opened it to discover small bags filled with white powder they believe to be crystal meth. The package was then reported to the police who believe it is a controlled drug. So they changed the attack before the police said it was, now the police believe it is, might be, mm. might not be. Speaking today, one of the anonymous owners said, we think it's crystal meth. We asked an expert friend and the police, <laughs> we asked an expert friend. <laughs> <laughs> and the police said it's likely to be a controlled drug. The drugs were delivered at lunchtime on Saturday, June the 26th, after the guests had left. The guests came to us on Wednesday, June the 23rd, saying they had sent an SD card to the address, and we let him know that this wasn't usually allowed. Two bags of a white substance were sent to our home. The address and his name was typed rather than written. He said it was going to be a camera SD card. We opened it along with lots of mail, not realising. The situation gave us a fright, but the police aren't investigating because he did not handle the drugs so he just needs to deny it but they have made a note of his name against it if something similar happens again the police didn't put the drug through a lab but made some sort of presumptive test they called it <laughs> they continued there were stains on the sofa where they did not use the bedding on the sofa bed he did try to tidy it up but it took more than a week to get rid of the smell and we will need to repaint we also had to find alternative accommodation for the next guest it was mainly oh. the smell ingrained in the fabrics and the upholstery the white smell was the, sorry the smell was more than pot it was chemically and heavy and there was white powder left around the living room I complained to Airbnb who said I a claim for cleaning and they would review his account. He has since messaged to apologise for profe for professional cleaning, so they must have said something to him. But I haven't applied. I haven't replied. Yeah. So for, I think the first question is, who's like doing a crystal meth air like, mail drop service in Presswick? <laughs> Are you asking that for any particular reason, or <laughs> I'm just asking. <laughs> I'm just asking for a friend. Um, I, mean, I, I guess it's a convenient way to source things now and 
send it through the post. I, I, don't, I thought it was a bit Amazon. risky, but yeah, yeah I, maybe. I mean, I mean, what are the? There are some sort of drugs that I've heard of, like plant food type things, which kids take, which are legal. Mm. These legal highs, right? I've yeah, never. I think they crack down on them. Was it like right. meow meow? Or yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was like plant fertilizer or some. <laughs> strange thing like that but i think they do try and crack down on them quite quickly once these legal highs become a thing was it not a, a period of time that people were i don't know were they snorting bath salts and yeah. it was turning people a bit crazy there's not a guy in the states that ended up eating someone because <laughs> he was high on bath salts yeah it does ring a bell yeah i mean i'd imagine that it must be quite painful to they eat or snort something with the consistency of bath salts i can imagine that it would probably mm rip your nose lining to shreds. I remember when I was a teenager there they people used to talk about the anarchists cookbook or something like that. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. And there was yeah. there was like a procedure in that for treating banana peels. And, and so you would do something to the banana peels and then you could smoke them and apparently mm. it would get you high. There was also about stuff how to make a homemade bomb and other various yeah. other antisocial activities. But it was a bit of like a, it was almost like a bit of an urban myth because this was like pre-internet when I was at school, so say ninety four, ninety five. Or well, it might not have been pre-internet, but there was certainly no internet in my life. So yeah, this like uh, anarchist cookbook was a wee bit of a. It felt like it was a bit of an urban myth to me. Anyway, you ever, you ever? Yeah, I never had a copy, but I did uh, read about it and I did hear about it, and yeah, I think it was available quite widely online. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that I've ever really looked into but i do remember that it was yeah how to make a bomb and stuff like that which you know handy things that teenagers need to know yeah i know but yeah i mean i'd be quite interested to meet this couple that have just gone to this airbnb in Presswick to have a a sort of like 1970s hollywood hills drugs and sex party <laughs> yeah so they've just basically had an airbnb they've had a little party they've had a little bit of drugs which would be the white powder yeah um they've recklessly not put sheets on the sofa bed and <laughs> left stains i'm quite intrigued to know what stains they are mm. that are on there I'd, I'd, I'd like to know as well what this smell is uh, that they couldn't get rid of in the lounge but they said it was chemically but not just pot yeah, it's probably probably crystal meth. I imagine I've been. I've, I can I can hand on heart say that I've never even been in the presence of crystal meth, let alone smoked it. But what I understand about it is, I think it does leave quite a pungent smell mm. from what I've seen on movies and read in books, TV and stuff. So it's it's probably just the crystal meth. Nothing to worry about. Just get it clean. Yeah. Open a window. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, so. That's fine, yeah. Oh, well, that's a, a wonderful, heartwarming tale of when renting out your flat can go wrong. I wonder how they disposed of the crystal mess. Like, when you said maybe they burnt it, are you alluding to the fact that they might have smoked it themselves, this middle-aged couple that own this property? <laughs> well, maybe. How often do you find a free bag of crystal meth, you know? I mean... Not often enough. Yeah. He did say that he wants it off the... He wanted it off the streets. You know what I mean? This middle-aged... I've just got an image of this middle-aged guy, you know, fancies himself as a bit of a pillar of the community you know what i mean that kind of vigilante sort of tendencies yeah i just i i destroyed it because i i, I disposed of it properly because i wanted it off the streets i wanted it off my streets <laughs> what's he gonna do next because it's obviously addictive so is he gonna have to get some sort of other natural high next in terms of <laughs> is he gonna start kicking down the doors of crack dens 
a bit to try and clear up the streets of all these drugs. Maybe, yeah. So what's uh, what's your first story this week? Well, I was torn as to whether to do this because I covered a similar story last week and I don't want this to turn into a kind of trope of the swally that <laughs> my news stories are always about this subject, but it was too good not to do. So I'm, I'm going to read this story and then I'm going to put myself on a little ban from any stories of this nature again. <laughs> but it, as I say, the headline was too good. So this is from the Scottish Sun this week and the headline is Palmed Off. Scott dodges jail for masturbating in co-op car park after his Viagra kicked in. Uh, again, apologies that uh, I'm covering another story about wanking, but it was too good. Uh, a van driver dodged stiff punishment after he claimed Viagra forced him to perform a sex act in his vehicle. Shocked onlookers spotted Kenneth Cowie, 61, fiddling with himself in a supermarket car park. And there's a photo of uh, Kenneth there, looking a bit sorry for himself. Um, he claimed he didn't do it for kicks, but he was forced to take action when his Viagra suddenly kicked in. He explained he was in agony, so I had no choice but to pull into the co-op car park and take matters into his own hands. A stunned witness spotted him with a magazine in his lap during this bizarre incident in Old Meldrum, Aberdeen. <laughs> Uh, the judge accepted his side of events and fined him £270 after he admitted public indecency. They said that they took into account that he had a good background and he didn't really have any criminal convictions beforehand. So he was driving in his van and he was left in a very uncomfortable position as he was driving home to Keith. So he parked up outside this co-op and pulled a bright green jacket over himself to hide his modesty. But a man in another car who was trying to read a book as he waited for his wife noticed strange movements. He said, I saw this rusty white Ford Transit van with someone sitting in the driver's seat and a high-vis jacket on his lap. His left hand was under the jacket, making rapid movements indicative of masturbation. Uh, the court heard that this went on for several minutes and the other man tried to ignore what was happening in the van. But eventually, he got so intrigued and so fed up of trying to read his book that he just took out his phone and started filming Kerry having a <laughs> wank. <laughs> so he could pass it on to the police, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, then Cowie was seen uh, closing the magazine <laughs> that he was reading. I guess he'd obviously finished. Um, and then, yeah, that was it. So uh, the, the incident was caught on camera and the driver said he was deeply embarrassed and he was absolutely mortified. He, he swears that he didn't do it for any sexual gratification. It was just a case that he just had to get it out because he was in agony. Uh, so the, uh, the p reporters have obviously gone to Cowie's house to get a statement from him, but his wife Carol answered the door and she said, it's a private matter. What's it got to do with you? Get the fuck out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so that's my uh, my story of uh, wonderful Kenneth Cowie having a little fiddle with himself. I just like the, the headline as well, palmed off. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just a little play. Uh, so yeah, I'm sorry for another wanking story. I don't want to, to make this into a, a, a thing that every week there's going to be a wanking story, but it was too good not to share. <laughs> so, I mean, you can just imagine, he's just in agony. He's taken his Viagra, it's kicked in. Why is he taking Viagra at that time? Though? Well, that's my like, point, you know. That's what, I, <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. You know, I, I thought I might have missed an important point of the story, but I don't want no. to interrupt you. So it doesn't explain why he is taking Viagra in the middle of the day when he's no. not with his partner, girlfriend, wife, whatever. He just... I mean, yeah, it says he was heading home, so right. I, I don't know. Maybe he'd taken it before 
and right. he was hoping that it would just kick in as he got home just so that he could go in and surprise his wife Carol and have a bit of fun but it kicked in too early and unfortunately <laughs> he was in so much pain that he had to pull over his rusty white Ford Transit van. It's a good job he had a magazine with him, though, because that's a good point. I didn't think about that. It does mention that he was wanking off to a jazz mag, but right. so he obviously just has a copy of Reader's Wives kicking about in his transit, ready to have a go. If he, I mean, if he hadn't had the magazine, as we learned on the last episode, it could have taken quite a long time till like a woman started to like put a shopping into the boot of her car or something like that. Or take a shop. Maybe that's why he picked the co-op car park. Because if the magazine wasn't fulfilling his needs, then he could see a woman putting her messages in the book. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just like the, the thought of this guy as well, who's sitting in his car, reading a book, reading waiting for book. his wife. And then he's looking over and says, is that guy wanking? The way it's described is like he's trying to read his book, but he's, he's so put off by the thought of this guy having a wank <laughs> that he has to go and film it <laughs> so he can send it to the police. <laughs> he's so put off by the kind of... The movement and his peripheral vision <laughs> distracting from his Willard Price book or whatever it was. Whatever he's reading. Um, I think it's pure jealousy that he was upset that he couldn't sit and have a wank in his car because he, his wife could come back at any moment. Yeah. So he's like, well, if I can't do this, then neither can you. I'm going to spoil it for everyone. Yeah. He's not brave enough to kill the time waiting for his wife by having a wank. I do like your description of you think that he's sitting through a Willard Smith book. Well, <laughs> it does kind of sum up the yeah, type of person he probably is. Yeah. Sure, I mean, like the latest Tom Clancy or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe now that I've reached an age where hangovers sort of last two days for, you know via, the, the need to use Viagra might be on the horizon but uh, I mean, it occurs to me it occurred to me there that I don't know a great deal about it I remember my uncle telling me about a friend of his who took some Viagra in anticipation of his wife arriving home at a certain time she ended up arriving at a couple of hours later, I think she was in a night out, and he so he was expecting the ring, I don't know, making it up like say ten o'clock. She was obviously having a good time, so she rolls in about midnight. He had taken the Viagra a couple of hours before. Because like all the blood had gone to his cock, obviously, because that's what happens when you get an erection, ladies. He had he was just like he was all dizzy and he had to have a lie down and everything. He was all lightheaded, he was feeling sick. I thought I thought myself, that sounds fucking horrendous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean my uncle thought it was fucking hilarious and admittedly it is quite funny but yeah I just I don't know I mean I don't know maybe maybe there's something quite romantic about it on this guy's on Mr Cowie's behalf you know him and his wife maybe I don't know just gets in she's waiting for him he gets there he's ready for action tweeds off straight on you know no foreplay yeah it was just a little bit too early that it, it caught up with him. Yeah. What a shame. Indeed. Never mind. At least he just got a little fine for it, for public indecency and yeah. not for wanking in a car park. Uh, so yeah, I am now on a wanking ban from okay. the Swally, so to speak. I'm going to try not to do any more wanking stories for a, a, a wee well. while at least. I'm going to try and find one for the, for the next episode. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> You can take it, yeah. We've had quite a few. There was the the, the guy that was uh, wanking in the picture shop as well, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, there was. And then we had a, a truck driver as well that just, was caught wanking. Yeah, complete <laughs> so, 
took all his clothes off as well. He was obviously having a bit, of, a bit of a posh wank. Yeah, his clothes off and stuff. Um, yeah, we've had a few. We've had a few of the old wanking stories. Yeah. Well, my next story, I don't think we've ever, we've ever had a story like this. The headline reads... Now, actually, before I read it, there should be a bit of a disclaimer, right? So, you might hear this and think, well, Greg, that's not funny. That's just horrible and unpleasant. And yeah, I'm sorry to offend anybody but when you hear the headline I hope you I hope you understand why I chose this story <laughs> right so this is Nine Wells Hospital in Dundee it's uh, the headline reads nurse wrapped uh, Scots nurse sacked by Nine Wells Hospital after calling baby fat bastard and branding <laughs> colleagues lazy and the ginger one so this again comes from the Scottish Sun uh, never fails to never lets us down the 15th of July this year. A nurse working in a hospital in Dundee has been reprimanded by a watchdog after calling a baby a fat bastard and branding colleagues lazy and a ginger one. Karen Edith Cunningham worked in Ninewells Hospital in the neonatal intensive care unit when she made the appalling comments in 2018. So this was three years ago. Between, wow. April, be, between April and May of 2018, she called a baby patient a fat bastard and another baby <laughs> fatso. She also called a new mum a scummy junkie and said that some people shouldn't be allowed to have children referring to a mother with a genetic condition which was passed on to her baby. I mean, Karen just sounds lovely. She added that some people should be sterilised and not allowed to have babies. The nurse also branded some of her colleagues as useless and a lazy git. After a fellow member of staff made a mistake, Cunningham asked, wait, are you Irish? And then added, that explains it. Uh, she was also found to have made errors on three separate occasions when administering medication to youngsters. Karen has 30 years of experience, but she also ignored monitor alarms for baby patients and left student staff to deal with them. Cunningham admitted all the charges against her. The nursing, the nursing and midwifery council was told how the nurse was disinterested and didn't care about her job. She was later fired by Nine Wells. So she was fired in August 2018. It's just taken the Scottish Sun three years to get a hold of this story. Um, and has been working in a supermarket and studying at college. Cunningham admitted to behaving in an unprofessional and inappropriate way and has said that she is ashamed of her actions. So it's good to show that she's shown a bit of contrition. Uh, the Watchdog panel found that Cunningham's fitness to practice was impaired as a result of her misconduct. So, I mean, Karen sounds lovely. I hope that she's uh, doing something that she enjoys, because it sounds like she fucking didn't like being a nurse very much. <laughs> yeah, it sounds terrible. I have to admit, I did laugh when you said called the baby a, was it a fat bastard? Fat and bastard. Fatso. Fatso, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's pretty yeah. funny. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it sounds like she really didn't enjoy her work no. being a nurse. I think she was definitely in the wrong profession. I I think to be a nurse you have to have a little bit of a caring side and a little bit of compassion and good yeah. bedside manner but calling a baby fatso is uh yeah yeah i think being a nurse is definitely a kind of calling or a vocation because famously the wages are fucking rubbish and it's mm. hard work do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's just, it's one of those stories that you kind of know that you shouldn't really be reading it out, <laughs> but there is something funny about calling a baby that isn't related to me a fat bastard. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I know, but all babies are kind of fat. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, just slightly chubby. Yeah, right, yeah. So, so yeah, that's old Karen. Karen Edith Cunningham. What's your number? I don't know what else to say about it. What's your last story? <laughs> okay, I'll try and do this uh, as well as I can because uh, it would appear that my neighbours have just started drilling 
So, if you hear oh, a little yeah. bit of a drill noise in the background, my apologies. I'll try and edit out as best as I can. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this next story is from the Evening Express in Aberdeen this week. And again, it's just sometimes you see a, a headline that just kind of grabs you. So, topless granddad, 77, taunted waitress after being told to wear a face mask. Uh, this is a granddad, Eric McKenzie. He was ordered to leave a cafe for not wearing a face mask. So he whipped off his top and said to the waitress, who's going to make me? Uh, yeah, so Eric McKenzie, 77, was at Bothy 57 in Kirkton of Skeen. And he went in there for a coffee after he'd been boozing at the pub. Uh, the pincher finished his coffee uh, and was waiting outside. And then he went inside the cafe to speak to some friends. But he was challenged by a member of staff about not wearing a face mask. He swore at the woman and left only to return to continue his tirade of abuse and then calling another customer's mother fat. A, a bit of a trend this week on the Swally thing. Yes, <laughs> seems so. Uh, when he was told to leave for a second time, the irate OAP whipped off his top and said, who's going to make me? <laughs> this was at 2pm in the afternoon um, earlier this year. And yeah, so he went in, he was speaking to this couple. He, the waitress very politely said to him, uh, can you please leave because you're not wearing a face mask? Uh, so yeah, then he swore uh, at her, called her names and then did leave. But yeah, he came back in later on and then yeah, spoke to uh, another customer and called the mother fat and was very insulting and commented on her figure as well. Uh, so yeah, once he was asked to leave again, he took off his shirt and said, yeah, who's going to make me? He seemed to be under the influence of alcohol, uh, but then he just picked up his shirt and left. So he pled guilty, fair enough, 77 years old, might as well, to behaving in a threatening and abusive manner. His defence agent said that his client had limited previous convictions. I don't know what, you know, limited previous convictions? So he still got previous convictions. Uh -huh. uh, they explained that the, the incident was due to the fact that he had taken more medication than he was prescribed, and he'd also been in the pub beforehand before he went to head for a coffee. He does accept that his behaviour was entirely inappropriate and he's taken steps to address his alcohol problem by contacting Alcohol and Drugs Action. I mean, dude, you're 77. Just have a bevy, it's fine. I know, I mean, Just don't yeah. take your top off, you know? <laughs> uh, the sentence was deferred for six months because Mackenzie was in very good behaviour and he's trying to address his alcohol misuse. Now, have you ever been so angry at someone that you've just whipped your top off? Like, <laughs> no. I mean, that sounds bizarre. 77 years old, he's been asked to leave because he's not wearing a mask and he's just so enraged that he just, his first thought is, right, taps off. <laughs> Who's going to make me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really understand. There's this whole thing in the UK at the moment, isn't there, where there's like a, there's, like, there's a bit of a, like an anti-mask movement. There's like, I follow an actor called Colin Baker on Twitter. And some listeners may know Colin Baker from playing Doctor Who uh, in the 1980s. Uh, for a short time, and he was he he tweeted that his daughter was a sort of roughed up, not like not properly assaulted, but roughed up in central London because she was wearing a mask, and the guy that roughed her up or the girl woman that roughed her up doesn't think that she should be wearing a mask. And I'm just, I mean, I don't, it's just it's just such a part. I mean, I guess it's different in the UK, but it's just such a part of life here. Like mm. sticking a mask in my pocket before I go out is like putting my shoes on. You know what I mean? Mm. I, I don't, you know, if I have to wear a mask, so all the pubs stay open and the restaurants stay open and shops stay open, then I, I, I don't care. But I, I don't, this, this anti-
anti-mask movement is just really weird. And, and I think I think the problem is is that the UK government have been a wee bit ambiguous about it. Instead of saying mm. you have to wear a mask and that's the law, yeah. they've said, oh, well, you're expected to wear a mask, but, there, but there's no consequences for not wearing it other than you might not get a coffee served to you when you come into okay. a tea. You know what I mean? I think people can make up their... They, people that own bars, restaurants and shops can make their own decision on the mask thing. So, yeah, it's just as usual, usual fucking Tory government ambiguous rules. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Should we move on to a review? Yeah, let's have a review. Um, well, first of all, let's have a word from our sponsors. Have you been to see Sterling recently? Britain's biggest furniture centre is getting bigger and better every month. Come and see for yourself at Sterling, to the country near Sterling. So, it was your choice this week, so why don't you introduce this week's content. Uh, yeah, so it was my choice this week. So I have chosen a film that I am a, a big fan of, but I guess I was a bigger fan of the book before the film. But I have chosen the 2013 black comedy crime film, Filth. Uh, so written and directed by good old Aberdeen loon, John S. Baird. And it's based on the 1998 novel by Irvin Welsh. Filth stars James McAvoy as Detective Sergeant Bruce Robertson, a bigoted and corrupt policeman who is in in line for promotion, enlisted to solve a brutal murder and threatened by the aspirations of his colleagues, including Jamie Bell, Imogen Poots, and Gary Lewis, uh, he sets about ensuring their downfall. Uh, Bruce starts to lose control of himself in a web of deceit, and his crippling drug habit, missing wife, and love for the whores start to take a bit of a toll on his sanity. So, Greg, what are your memories of, I mean, I'm presuming the book uh, before the film, but memories of filth in general? I'd read the book before I saw the film. I read the book when I was quite young. My old flatmate in Aberdeen when I first moved in, she had a copy of it, and I found it, I think it took me a couple of goes. I think it didn't, so the the book didn't capture me straight away the first time I read it. Like, the whole book with the the tapeworm talking and the, you know and it's sort of over the prose mm. so so Welsh has obviously written all he's written all this prose knowing that he's going to put this mm. tapeworm which I've never seen in a book in any other book I've never seen that sort of thing before um, I think that's him at his most creative and surreal but I reread the book a couple of years later and it completely just got me so when I mm. when I saw that there was a film coming out I remember being a wee bit because like and I don't know if you'll agree with this but when I heard that James McAvoy and I will, I must say he's brilliant in this James McAvoy but when I read that he was going to be playing the main character the main protagonist in the book Bruce Robertson James McAvoy wasn't who I saw in my mind when I read the book No, you know what I mean? I think McAvoy has admitted that he said that he uh, I watched an interview with him and he got the script and mm-hmm. he, he'd read the book previously but he got the script and he closed the script and he said I have to get this yeah. and he said I knew I was too young I was too clean cut for this role, but I had to do this. And somehow he managed to convince them. And Irvin Welsh, uh, in a similar interview that I watched, he said that obviously he, when he's writing the book, he has the image of a character in his mind. Mm -hmm. And of course now, in terms of train spotting, we know that Sick Boy has like a long black ponytail and stuff. It's it's nothing like the way Johnny Lee Miller portrays him. But he said when he saw the first rushes of the filming of Phil, and he saw James McAvoy in his 
kind of Bruce Robertson gear, he's like, that's exactly it. That is exactly how I pictured Bruce Robertson when I was right. writing this book. All Which, right. it, you know, testament yeah. to the way he is. But yeah, apparently, according to Irvin Welsh, that is exactly how he pictured him. I mean, he's... I don't think I've ever... I, you know, McAvoy has had quite a varied career in terms of the roles that he has played. I mean, the first thing I ever saw him in was Shameless, uh, the TV mm. series Shameless. And I didn't even realise he was Scottish in that because he's doing a Mancunian accent. He's he's obviously since gone on to do things like Atonement, uh, which I've not seen either, but apparently it's very good. He famously is in the X-Men sort of kind of reboot with, you know, First Class and those, I mean, those movies kind of get progressively worse. And, you know, I think probably most recently in terms of high profile stuff he's done is was the second chapter of the film of Stephen King's It, where he plays mm. um, Bill, uh, is it, what's Bill's second name? Henderson? I can't remember. So, but I don't think I've ever seen him as good as he is in this film. You know what I mean? He's in have almost you, every scene, right? Have you seen Split? Yeah, actually, that's maybe. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I have. I've seen Split and I've seen Glass, and oh. he is. He's very good. You know, but I don't know. There's something about because those two films are kind of like fantasy. Do you know what I mean? Like it's comic mm. book stuff. As surreal as this movie is, the some of the characters are sort of. I, I don't want to say character caricatures of the, t- but they're sort of exaggerated versions of people like that, you know, but this, I don't know, there's, but there is something be- much more, there's something kind of really believable about him in this role, which, and, and I, th- I think, I think the reason I say that is because, like I mentioned before, when I found out he was going to be playing the role, it just, I just, I wasn't concerned because I've always liked him as an actor, I think he's a great actor, and I would, I watched Chase McAvoy in just about anything, but um, I remember thinking, oh, it's going to be a bit weird, but does he brings a real because the thing is Bruce Robertson is a total cunt right and and in the scenes where he is being a cunt he's brilliant and a real really believable nasty piece of work but in the but the scenes where you see his vulnerability like when he keeps bumping into the late like the wife of the the guy who mm. dies in the street who he tries to save and and then there's some scenes later on that he has with Imogen puts and that vulnerability comes through and stuff you know what I mean yeah. like to go from he's, he's going almost from one extreme to the other and it and and he, he handles it so deftly you know what i mean oh i think it's a, a wonderful performance like it's, it's mesmerizing he, he plays the character so well mm. and it's totally believable and you're right the character of Bruce robertson is a nasty piece of work he's an evil bastard yeah but yeah you're completely right and even when he goes to to try and save the guy it is you can see the expressions face oh, for fuck's sake i'm gonna have to go and do something here yeah and you know you can tell he doesn't want to but it obviously affects him and as you see as you say you kind of see his his vulnerable side and mm-hmm. that he's he's not all bad but 90 percent. well that's the thing mcavoy he may even when he is being horrendous to somebody or he's manipulating somebody or you know he's writing like homophobic stuff in the toilet wall and the, the police station and things the scenes when he's um when when he's like manipulating and bullying Bladesy, played by Eddie Marsden, is probably when he's at his most unlikable because yeah. Eddie Marsden plays that part brilliantly and it's literally, you know, and he's such a good guy, Bladesy. Do you know what I mean? It's clear, like a nice fella that is just made a bit of a wrong turn by becoming friends with Bruce. And mm. those, are the, those are the scenes where you really think, oh, come on, you still like Bruce. You know what I mean? You, you, yeah. you still laugh when he does something horrible.
horrible or you know or they insult somebody or whatever I think the only the, the, the only other scene that's a little uncomfortable is, is when he blackmails the judge's daughter and uh, oh. going down on him when they're when they go into the one of Martin Compton's gang's uh, flats and that's a bit uncomfortable but somehow you end up kind of forgiving him a little bit for it you know what I mean as the film goes on I think it it, well, it definitely goes further in the book um, yeah, yeah. in terms of that scene uh, I mean to talk about my kind of first memories of this after seeing Train Spotting, and we reviewed Train Spotting on an earlier episode and I said to you I, I didn't actually read the book before I'd seen the film Train Spotting. Right. so once I'd seen the film I read Train Spotting, and then I quickly devoured The Acid House Ecstasy Marabou Sort Nightmares mm-hmm. I had to get my fill of Irvin Welsh Filth was the first book that I had purchased literally when it came out of Irvin right. Welsh's and I have every book since then I acquire or you know purchase or download in the first week of it coming out since then mm-hmm. and yeah. you know, read his books all the time and filth really stuck out with me I, I vividly remember obviously it must have just come out i think it must have been like about august time because i remember going to the football and it, it's funny the things you remember but i specifically remember this game i was in the blue lamp and i was with my brother-in-law and a few of his colleagues and me and this guy bob were speaking about filth because he just bought it as well right and we were kind of he was like halfway through and i think so was i and we're just discussing the the beautiful imagery in the book of because of course you, you miss that in the film this bruce has uh, terrible problems with his arse and right, his right. yeah and this it's got this big rash as well on his groin and he's you know it's the graphic imagery of like how he's he's eating a bacon roll in the car and then he goes to the toilet and he's scratching his arse but he's still got grease from the bacon under his fingernails and it's like <laughs> set him off and then he's like I, I went back out I didn't wash my hands and we were laughing about the stuff like this and it's, it's just amazing that I could remember that I, yeah. I think it was probably memorable because we then went to the football and it was a very memorable game Aberdeen beat Celtic 3-2 despite Celtic having three penalties in that game but they missed two of them um, <laughs> so the book had always kind of been with me and yeah. I think I read it another couple of times before the film came out so i think i'd read it about three times and i read it again last week just in preparation of the right. podcast and to <laughs> to watch the film. so yeah i think it's like four times i've read filth now and i just i, I adore the book it's it's yeah. great i mean it's horrible it's filthy and, yeah as the name suggests but it's it's very grimy and graphic and bruce is just an even worse character in that so to read that again and to watch the film again was a big eye opener and i remember i was desperate to see this film when it came out but of course i was living in the middle east at the time so funnily enough filth didn't make it into the cinemas <laughs> in dubai so i had to wait for it to come out on dvd so i could download it and yeah. i remember watching it and just loving it because it was it, it is good there's a lot they miss out from the book in a way but mm-hmm. i guess the tapeworm is the biggest thing but then i think that's kind of replaced but they mention it a couple of times in the film but i think the tapeworm scenes are effectively replaced by dr rossi yeah I think you're right. jim broadbent jim yeah. he kind of gives the kind of narrative and he fills in the blanks especially because the tapeworm that is where you get the whole backstory about his little brother yeah um died and dr rossi kind of fills in those Mm -hmm. blanks in the film so he kind of plays the the role of the tapeworm as such um but yeah i think it's a very faithful adaptation of the book a a book that irvin welsh himself said 
said is unfilmable. He yeah. said there was no way you could film this, but I, I think they did a an incredible job. Really, it's it's very true to the book. I mean, there's obviously a few changes because it's a, and I wonder why they did that. It was a, it's a black uh, student that gets killed in the book, but yeah. in the film, it's an Asian student, and I, yeah. I just wondered why there would have been that. Maybe racial kind of tensions at the time, or don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure actually, because they, they the other the other thing. I've not read the book for quite a long time. I, I I read the book just before I watched the movie for the first time. I remember that because I knew it was coming out, and I think there was I had I was traveling for work, and I picked up a copy of Q or Empire magazine, and there was an article about the movie. It must have been probably mm. Empire, um, and I thought, oh, I have to read the book again before the film comes out. So I, I had read the book. Now, there was two things that I remembered from the book which didn't make it into the film. The first bit is near the beginning because in the book near the beginning it's that you know the the student is actually finished off by Bruce mm. as Carol yeah. you know and they go to Amsterdam rather than Hamburg in the book don't they and, and I was quite disappointed on the the rewatch because I read the book again before I rewatched the film and of course in my head I'd, I'd forgotten that it's Hamburg in the film because yeah. I, I haven't watched the film I think since it first came out yeah. so as I'm watching it and I'm like oh yeah I'm going to get to see Amsterdam because you know it's nice to see yeah. city well, you living on film yeah. and then of course when they mention Hamburg I was like oh shit that's right <laughs> it's not Amsterdam yeah. I mean, you touched on it already but I think it's worth talking about you know the Ir- Irving Welsh for I, like, I guess our generation because I mean I, I, I mentioned it on the Chainspotting podcast I mean I did did read the book before of Trainspotting before I saw the film because somebody at school mm. let me borrow it and I and I had seen the teaser trailer for Trainspotting when I had rented Shallow Grave with Hugh McGregor tied to the uh, train tracks and stuff so I had a bit of anticipation um, but the same guy who lent me Trainspotting gave me a loan of the Acid House I read Trainspotting from start to finish over the space of about 12 hours I think and then he gave me a loan of the Acid House the next day and the Acid House obviously a uh, it's short stories and a novella. Mm. So, you know, like some of the stories are great. Some of the stories aren't quite as accessible as some of the other ones, which is often the way with collections of short stories. And then a few months later, I think it was either before Trainspotting came out or after it came out, it gave me a loan of the Marabou Stork Nightmares. But he said, it's not very good. And I remember, so I was like, oh, I thought I'm going to read it anyway. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good book. Uns- like, like all Irvin Welsh's work, there are some unsettling bits and bits that I mean even Trainspotting's got some bits that are a bit a bit hard to read but the book of Trainspotting had come out in 1993 my, like our generation well my generation it certainly my peers discovered them about three years later and then just this anticipation and I, I'd never it really felt like he was because we, we were like 17, 18, 19 you know leaving school going to university going to college there was you know there was a real culture that felt a bit like it was ours in the way that I always imagined that maybe like my parents generation felt about I don't know fucking glam rock or the kind of mod movement or whatever it just felt this was something that was ours although it was it was obviously very influenced by all these other things that had come before and Irving Welsh certainly to me felt like a big part of it but it, it wasn't like everybody I knew devoured his books the people who I knew who liked 
to read and read for leisure, which, you know, some people don't do that, which sounds yeah. men- sounds mental to me that some people don't read for leisure, but, you know. And I, and I think, like, one of the, one of the kind of things that cemented our friendship when we first met was the fact that we both really enjoyed his work. Because I can remember having conversations about, about I think it was when, when porno came out, going down to uh, Waterstones on, uh, on uh, Union Street and buying it the day it came out. That you mentioned yeah. about filth. And in fact, even before that, before porno, it was glue. Glue. Like glue. Yeah. But that came out for and they're going down and getting that and stuff. And there was something about, you know, when you meet you know, if you meet somebody in the pub in a collection of friends or whatever that you don't know very well and you get talking and it and Irving Welsh comes up and you and that person are both big fans of his work. There's like a there's an instant connection and you can spend hours talking to this person that you've just met about Irving Welsh's canon of work. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's genuinely the, probably the one author, I think him and John Niven would be the two authors that I genuinely get a flutter of excitement when I read they've got a new book coming out. Yeah. And as I say, Irving Welsh, I've, I've read every one of his books and get them on the first week. Some of them are a bit missed. You know, I, I think like Sex Lives of the Siamese Twins. Actually, yeah. I might go back and reread that. It was quite good, but it wasn't, I guess, because it wasn't the usual characters that you're kind of yeah. liking. But things like A Decent Ride and Glue and the blade artist and oh they're just great it's it's so good you just Irvin Welsh is probably one of the few authors that when I read an Irvin Welsh book I instantly want to read another one yeah, because yeah. I still want to be in that world yeah. whereas if I'm reading like a Stephen King book I, I kind of need to read something else in between to cleanse my palate before I would read another Stephen King book yeah, yeah. but Irvin Welsh as soon as I'm finished I'm like right I, I need to go and read another Irvin Welsh book because I'm just so immersed in this world and he's just got such a, a beautiful way with his words yeah. and the stories that he tells so of course in terms of filth we are i mean this is the same world because he hmm. this is a query that i've got have he doesn't mention it in the film and yeah obviously we need to speak about the film but in the book he does mention francis begbie uh yeah spud murphy spud, and juice yeah. terry um yeah. and he also mentions a uh, post alec as well which is uh, a great thing so and of course i think gorman who is the the kind of gang leader of the beat up the the asian student yeah he's in marabou stork nightmares as well yeah. i believe it's been I a long it's... time since i've read that and i need to go back and read that but yeah he's in in that well so is um so is lexo lexo's oh, in yes he's yeah. in all the he's you know so this is i was going to say that before Irvin welsh does have a bit of a Irvin welsh universe you know what i mean yeah. with these characters sort of coming in and out um because like even in Glue there's you know like Renton and Spud and Begbie make a, a mm. f- quite fleeting appearance there and then he sort of brings all those characters most of those characters together for porno um, and even like Dead Men's Trousers you've got uh, Carl Ewart is in Dead Men's Trousers isn't he I don't know I don't think, I don't think just mm-hmm. Teddy's in Dead Men's Trousers but then he obviously gets his own book with a decent so. ride with a yeah. decent ride and everything so there is this whole sort of Irvin Welsh universe and it, you know again it's I, I don't know what kind of button it presses but there's something sort of satisfying about him mentioning characters that you know quite well from another, from another one of his stories but then I have to admit reading Filth again there's a little bit about Francis Begbie and I'm mm. thinking wait a minute he should be in jail why is he why is he out because and that's the thing I want to ask you this as well because in terms of the film filth it's never implicitly kind of said when it's set no I know and people don't have mobile phones and stuff exactly 
exactly. But yeah. They're kind of, it does feel kind of at the time. But then, mind you, he's checking uh, CFAX in the, the shop window <laughs> yes, when he's looking right. at the scores. Nice to see that Aberdeen were beating Rangers 2 0 at halftime. Um, in the book as well, it's never explicitly mentioned when it is, but there is one giveaway line. And he's round at his uh, neighbor's house, the footballer. And he's like, of course, the fucking cunt's got the new Phil Collins album. And mm. it's uh, Dancing to the Light. So that pinpoints the book as 1996 is when right, it's okay. set. So I'd imagine the film is kind of set at the same time. And again, mobile phones weren't kind of around. But it, it almost feels a bit too modern for 96. Things like Ray Lennox's big kind of lip sofa and uh, all the ching and the even the clothes they're wearing and stuff. It kind of doesn't feel like it's set in the late 90s. It almost feels like it is set in kind of the mid-2000s, but I, d- yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm thinking about Begbie being in jail. So in, in porno, Begbie's gone to jail for manslaughter, right? Because he's he stabbed somebody in self-defence in a pub car park. Um, mm. but I, can't, I can't remember how long he's supposed to have been in prison for. I think because like, porno came out around 2002, I think, 2000. Oh no, 2001, I think it came out, Porno. Uh, you know something, I need to go and check. I know Glue came out in about 2000. Yeah, so... I think Porno came out like the, the, the following year. Um, yeah. So, but we don't, so I can't remember. I have to go back and read Porno. Yeah, maybe I'm mixing up because obviously in T2, you're yeah. kind of led to believe that Begbie's effectively been in prison since he was arrested in um, at the end of train spotting. So maybe that's yeah. what I'm mixing up. So I, it's a good point. I haven't read Porno for a while. I need to reread that again, actually. And Skag Boys, quite fancy reading that again. And Dead Men's Trousers. Jesus. To get back to the film, I guess, of Phil. So we've spoken about McAvoy and it is a an incredible performance. He really does the character so well. To talk about the kind of cast around him, there's some great members. Jamie Bell is really good as Lennox yeah. and his accent's pretty good. Like it's it's not incredible, but it's it's passable. I've heard a yeah. lot worse. We've had worse on the podcast, I think, <laughs> before things that yeah. we've watched. I highly rate Jamie Bell as an actor anyway. I think he's really good. I and, mean, you know, the only thing is that, you know, he's, you know, I guess he's supposed to be younger than, like, Ray Lennox is supposed to be younger than Bruce Robertson, I think, right? Robertson's mm. supposed to have a bit more time under his, under his belt in the job than uh, Lennox does. I don't think McAvoy and Jamie Bell are that, there's that much of a gap in age. I think it's maybe about, I think James McAvoy, I think, is about a year younger than me. And I think Jamie Bell is maybe about the same age as you. Maybe, no, maybe, no, maybe not. Maybe like five or six years younger. You know, I don't know. Born in 1986. So yeah, he's a fair bit oh, younger. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah five a, years. Yeah, got five years on me. He, he's really, he's really good. And, uh, you know, his, um, his our introduction to him, the, the sort of surreal introductions to all the characters, but him with the dude with a big Scarface pile of cocaine. Stop off the ching. He's got over his face. <laughs> and that's what I think sets up this film beautifully because it is quite surreal in a way and you Mm. have the you know the great opening of course of him walking down through edinburgh castle yeah but then the moment that you have the the fart scene when they're all sat in the room and then as you say the the kind of all the odds pop up on screen Mm -hmm. of how likely they are to get the promotion and they each have a little bit of a little sketch that yeah, know, yeah, shows I guess what Bruce thinks of them, yeah, and sets up so you have you know Amanda Drummond as kind of like the bondage queen, and as you say, Jamie Bell's character is the I love the Ching. The standout for me has to be 
Gary Lewis as Gus when he's <laughs> the I've got a new toothbrush, miss. And yeah. Gary Lewis is fantastic at this. And it's so strange to see him in a role like this because I'm so used to seeing him as kind of like a downtrodden yeah. know, guy with the, the weight of the world on his shoulders. But as Gus, he's hilarious. Like, he's just the right level of, like, not stupid, but a little bit yeah. dim. But but his comedy timing is fantastic with some of the, the speeches he delivers. It's, oh, he's, he's great in this. And packing quite a wanger, as we see, when uh, it gets <laughs> to the photocopying scene. It's almost as big as Bruce's, and he's hit at large three times. <laughs> it's his face, though, isn't it, when he's, you know, because the camera cuts from the, the kind of photocopy back to <laughs> the owner of the member and he's just sort of looking about it like please with himself yeah I mean and there's there's an actor in this who I think might be up for the James Cosmo later um, mm. who who does get around a lot of stuff uh, Brian McCarthy as yeah. Boogie Gilman I mean I remember watching him in one with it's called Low Winter Sun with Mark Strong Mark Strong oh, doing yeah. a good advert years ago and I think he had been doing had he not been doing like an advert a kind of famous advert for like something uh, Brian McCarthy uh, around about the same time it was in like a sort of advertising campaign I can't remember what it was for I, I feel like it was for like toothpaste or something I can't remember but playing a sort of archetypal Scottish hard guy but he's uh, yeah he's he, he's brilliant in it uh, Brian McCarthy he's just kind of going to town as uh, the sort of Nazi I mean, you know and that again like that you say it's just it's just Bruce putting all these people that he sees as his competition into like convenient stereotypes of the type of person they are you know you've got um, Eamon what's his, Eamon, what's his second name as Ingalls Eamon Elliot as yeah. is, is, is Ingalls he's what people he's what people describe as a metrosexual but what I refer to as a fucking buff day <laughs> starting with my main rival for the inspector's job Peter Ingalls Ingalls is what they call metrosexual you make me What I call a fucking buff day. I guess you have to be quite careful of it. It's for comedy, it's a it's a joke, but that is brilliant the way he sets up. And I, I find it funny in terms of the and that's one of my favourite scenes of the film, is when he's yeah. wanking to the paper and he throws it away and then he writes Peter Ingalls sucks cock on the wall. And then the outrage of when he goes <laughs> And of course, in a way, Bruce is kind of being the the voice of normality and reason in terms yeah. of like, well, what does it matter what he gets up to? It's everyone yeah. else that is kind of the morally offended. But you know, Bruce isn't actually thinking that way. But <laughs> I guess it kind of pays off quite well in that he does justify it by saying, well, what does it matter? You know, what he gets up to. And it's Toll that really comes off the worst when he's like, you know, I yeah. can't have him undressing me with his eyes every time <laughs> he looks at me. But it's a shame. I, that was one scene. I actually watched this with my wife as well. So I'll, I'll come back to that. But that was yeah, one part that did make her uncomfortable of the setting Peter up as, as being gay yeah. and kind of laughing at it. She she wasn't comfortable with that element. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I like about this film is how it doesn't, you know, there are some, there is some slang that is very particular to Edinburgh, such mm. as the homophobic use of the word buffy to refer to yeah. gay gentlemen. And then the expression stoat the ball when, <laughs> when referring to sex with underage women. 
which I mean, I had never ever heard that before. I read Train Spotting. Yeah, I've me neither. Never heard it used in a movie. You know, even in like they don't even use it in Train Spotting because I guess Danny Boyle and uh, Kevin McDonald and all those guys have thought, well, no one is going to know what that means outside of Edinburgh. Whereas here. Uh, beard is just like no let's just let's just use the slang let's just use it they make it into a, a song you know? <laughs> they're quite happily singing still the ball still the ball and that's a a brilliant scene in terms of when they're intimidating like so um, yeah. and when they're saying about the beast and when he escaped the last time what was it he, he fucked, he fucked a island cow to death <laughs> yeah. yeah ripped the horns right off so they say I gotta I gotta say like the interplay between McAvoy and Jamie Bell in that scene is just brilliant you know what I mean it's almost like it's almost you, you get the feeling that they've done this sort of thing a hundred times <laughs> <laughs> you know this yeah. witness intimidation angle but yeah it's really and funny yeah because as you say it is the, the interaction of when he's like oh, oh but he's deaf what's that got to do with it oh because well, he can't hear the screams <laughs> it's the the way they are playing off against each other is is beautiful uh but yeah you're right stoke the ball i i don't think i ever heard that before i'd read it in Irvin welsh and it's not a thing you hear often but as you oh. say you see it on on screen yeah it's just incredible who else have we got uh well, you mentioned before, like sort of journeyman veteran actor John Sessions as Bob Toll, the aspiring yeah. screenwriter slash chief superintendent. I think he he, he passed away just uh, last year. Uh, John he Sessions did, yeah, it was quite recently. Yeah, unfortunately, he passed again. A very good performance, and I do like they got it in there that he's an aspiring screenwriter um, because he's always reading film books, whereas <laughs> in the book he's always typing. And Bruce actually steals his script and That's... deletes the files from the computer, and he he does start reading it, and he has actually his script is kind of based on the case that's ongoing, but it's yeah. set in America. And he's called the characters different names. Like, I think it's like Brett Robertson. He's called (laughs) Bruce's character. And he's he's made up sort of bit that he's been having an affair with uh, Amanda Drummond. Uh, But I like that they got that in. And then, of course, they put the 2001 poster (laughs) up on the wall (laughs) just to show that he's a a big film buff. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's a very good character in terms of the the way he kind of gets across the the outrage Mm -hmm. that he thinks that Peter Ingalls might be gay. And then, of course, he's speaking about, in terms of Gilman, you know, being a a Nazi as well. Uh, (laughs) So he does kind of get it across uh, of the the contempt he has almost for his kind of team. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you get the feeling that Toll just wants, he just wants a kind of, maybe not an easy life, but a quiet life so he can crack mm. on with his, with his screenplay. You know, let's just get this yeah. case, just get this case solved so the media are off my back. You know, he's, the other big thing that's in the book and in the in the film, and I was surprised, you know, when I, when I was thinking, oh, I wonder what bits they'll, what bits they'll leave out of the, they'll leave out of the film from the book. I, th- I actually thought that the, the kind of Masonic Lodge part of it, they might, they, they might find a way to get around it because mm. you know I mean it's it's sort of like I don't know I don't know if it's old fashioned you don't hear as much about about Freemasonry as certainly you did when when I was a kid it seemed like everybody was in the Masons like when I was a kid but um but you obviously like tolls quite a big deal in the lodge 
and I think you know, but he's not. I think in the book he's not as senior in the lodge mm. as Robertson. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Robertson takes it a lot, like, a lot more seriously. It's a means to an end for him, his character. So you know, like that sort of portrayal of Freemasonry is sort of handled quite well because it, they it, they could have taken the piss out of it. Yeah, um, but it it doesn't take the piss out of it. But neither does he hold it. And they show it in any sort of high regard either. It's just like a sort of club that they go to, and you know, they wear a, and they're wearing a sort of gowns when they're you so you see the end of a meeting when they're getting mm-hmm. up and they're going for a drink and uh, Bruce nicks 200 quid out of Lady's wallet when he goes to the toilet and all that you know and I, I think you're right it could have been easy to kind of take the piss and have them with like one trouser leg rolled up and yeah yeah know, fucking a goat or something but <laughs> they they have gone down the proper route and I think they they did have to have that in there because it is the the kind of key to introducing Bladesy. And yeah that's why you know that's where Bruce knows him from because otherwise why would bruce be friends with an accountant you know Mm -hmm. that he's randomly met so i think that is how you you have to have that to to introduce yeah and it's a a great introduction to see bladesy uh say played so well and then of course get to meet bunty his wife as well and that's probably one of my favorite bits and seeds of the film in terms of the the first phone call and Shirley Henderson is just wonderful as Bunny yeah. as well. I mean she's just wonderful in everything she does. She's uh, great. But her her acting and her reaction and it's so good when McAvoy's giving, you know, the Frank Cyborg and of course his little rhyme before he makes the phone call is, you know, Cunty Bunty, Cunty Bunty, how does your big minge crow? <laughs> <laughs> But her panic when when he's on the phone and he's like, oh, little Frank. Who's little Frank? It's... Oh. <laughs> yeah. In a TV show after the gods, you'll go mad. Bunty, bunty, cunty, bunty. How does your big minch grow? Hello, bunty. It's Frank Sidebottom here. I've had just about enough of you. I told us, right, that you have got a big, hairy fanny, though, bunty. You're... You like to take it up the bum, Bunty. I told you that nonsense. Uh, Are you ready, little Frank? Little Frank. Who's little Frank? I'm not talking anymore, Bunty. I've got. Is that you, Mum? Oh, it's my mum. No, I'm not talking to dirty prostitutes again, Mum. You can't have the foot. So good. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is as well, like I remember Frank Sidebottom was like quite a famous big deal in the nineteen eighties. Mm. I remember, you know what I mean? Um, they used to be on like children's television as well as yeah. like in like later in the evening type things. But you know, sort of kids in my in my mind anyway had sort of been forgotten. It's just like one of those sort of weird things, like sort of Max Headroom, one of those sort of weird sort of things you remember from when you were a kid that kind of went away and was never seen again um, so because they use the Frank Sidebottom Welsh uses a Frank Sidebottom thing in the book as well yeah. so again just to be like no we'll just we'll do it we'll do it like that you know we'll do it we'll do Frank because you know I, I don't know what the sort of modern version of a Frank Sidebottom type character would be I don't think there really is one to be honest I don't think so no I don't <laughs> think it really exists now but yeah. it's wonderful that they did have that in and to be able to keep that and of course how strange that you have James McAvoy doing a Frank Sidebottom impression and then of course he plays Professor X in X-Men films and then Magneto went on to play Frank Sidebottom in the film Frank oh that's right Michael, yeah Michael Fassbender yeah yeah so quite a little that. strange little uh, twist there yeah yeah, yeah. Um, nice little they, shared universe. You, you mentioned uh, Shirley Henderson. They, she, I, I've always 
really liked her as an actress. And I, and I've been in her vicinity. I might have mentioned this before, but years ago we got tickets to the premiere of a Scottish movie called American Cousins, which has got it's got a big pussy bumping cero from The Sopranos in it. <laughs> believe it or not. Oh, nice. And it's got Leonardo DiCaprio's Italian friend from Titanic in it. Um, oh and a yeah. Couple of, couple other um, actors and actresses. Uh, but basically, it's about two mafia guys that need to get out of New York and they come to Glasgow to stay with their Scottish cousins that run a chip shop. And Shirley Henderson is the girlfriend of the son of the guy who owns a chip shop, basically. She was she was at the premiere. like She got on the stage before the film started and said a few words. And she is absolutely tiny. She is a tiny wee woman. So she is. But yeah, I think, I think, she, I think she's really good. I, I really liked her in that movie. She did that Irish film she did with Colin Farrell. I think it was called Intermission. She plays like an Irish girl in that. It's a black mm. comedy. Um, she's very good. And she's she's brilliant in this as um, as uh, Bunty Blades to give her her full name. Yeah, she's very good, very believable, and it's quite striking because in the book Bunty is a let's just say a rather larger lady that's right yeah bruce does make quite comments about how he'd love to shag the big fat whore uh so to see shirley henderson it's such a a difference in the character because as you say she's tiny and she's so Mm -hmm. slight and she's kind of playing quite a bit of like a sex kit you know yeah yeah far too good for bladesy but yeah i guess he's he's rich and a nice guy yeah these big thick specs. The other actress that's in this, who I don't think we've had in anything we've done for the Swally so far, is Kate Dickey as uh, as Doogie, mm. Doogie Gilman's wife that Bruce is, is having an affair with, who, who's him and her and Bruce are turning off the gas for each other on a regular basis. Indeed, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, she, I, mean, she, I don't know, she, she's an unusual actress. The, the first thing I remember seeing her in, I think, was uh, Tinseltown. That, oh, yeah. Remember, yeah, she plays um, a DJ in that, like a, a girl DJ. Um, but she's, I mean, she, she's great in this. I mean, she she obviously takes her clothes off quite a lot in it as well. Mm-hmm. I think she's, you know, she's definitely up for one of her awards later on. But yeah, like the scene, her, I think it's her last scene in the film when uh, Bruce is, he's on his decline at that point, you know, it's starting to hallucinate and have his breakdown and everything and she's just sort of sexually assaults him yeah, you know what I mean him in the face and then yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah she's she's really good in it and then of course we've got everyone's uh, favourite AC12 uh, officer is Martin Comston is um, is uh, Graham, Graham Gorman I think it is yeah quite a, a surprise I'd forgotten he was in this and yeah. watching it I was like oh wow and as I say watching it with my wife because she me and her have watched Line of Duty so mm. when he pops up she's like oh oh wow uh, there's another uh, actor that appears later on that I think got a bigger oh wow uh, oh really to later on okay yeah that, that she was very surprised to see yeah it, Martin Comston he's great um, obviously playing a little kind of Ned gang character and yeah he is yeah he's very good very believable evil little bastard and gets his definite comeuppance um, <laughs> obviously from and you are quite fearful when they do take Bruce dressed up as Carol that came as a, a massive surprise to my wife as well right. in terms of the because of course you're seeing the Carol scenes and it's building mm-hmm. it up uh, so when it was the big reveal that it was actually Bruce then she was quite shocked at that but yeah quite a, a brutal beating that he's giving but then, mm-hmm. obviously, has a little cheeky wee snog with him too. Yeah, and uh, gets his lip bitten off or his tongue, mm. something after you know, because like Bruce spits it out after he's thrown him out the window. And uh, yeah. I do wonder as well in terms of the the gang members because 
you have the the female member the stale bruce goes into the florist and he's yeah. he's quite up close that's his sister i know yeah joy mcavoy yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it must be a bit like wow that's okay that's maybe a bit uncomfortable but yeah impressive yeah. acting i suppose because he not uh, called her a fat i think he calls her a fat whore as well does he not he does <laughs> he does indeed yes <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure it was in the script i'm sure he didn't add the blah blah <laughs> she does have quite a a bigger part in the the book but obviously in the film it's just a, a couple of scenes but uh she does have the i knew i recognized you from somewhere line yeah. which is because obviously they've seen her in the underpass yeah. um yeah killing yeah. the student and then of course i, th- I think the, the the big cameo which i don't think anybody expected was uh old hutch himself david soul singing i've his... had come on silver lady stuck in my head all week <laughs> You know, it's just the type of thing, even going to the toilet, and I'm sort of going, I'm like, oh, God, can't get out of my head. I know, a brilliant performance. And that's uh, the, the girls in the back of the car. One of them is his daughter, China Silver. Oh, China Silver? China, China Soul. Soul. Sorry, China, China Soul. <laughs> uh, yeah, David Soul. What a random kind of uh, pop-up. But it, it's kind of preempted earlier because you do see, I think when Bruce is at home, and you see like the CDs on the rack, and you see a David it's all CDs. <laughs> there's the, but there's also a picture. I know we're into the film when he pick when Russell when he picks up the picture of Carol and Stacy. There's a picture of David Soul beside the family picture that he picks up. So. Oh, I never noticed that. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to go uh, back and look for that. And I think it's David Soul as the character that he plays in the the movie. I, don't, I I can never decide whether he's supposed to be a taxi driver or whether he's supposed to be a punter for Carol mm. as a slash Bruce as a as a prostitute. You know. But yeah, it's uh, it's a nice little musical interludes yeah (laughs) and it adds to the slightly surreal aspect as we've said about the the odds coming up earlier and i think that's what what makes it good as well is the mcavoy breaks the fourth wall a lot Mm. yeah yeah. you know little looks to the camera little kind of nods (laughs) and it's it's so well done and i think if you it's not overdone but Mm -hmm. it's it's just on the right amount the way he just gives those kind of little looks and nods and yeah breaking up with the little david soul sing-along is fantastic yeah apparently irvin welsh had a cameo in the movie I was watching an interview with uh, John Baird and James McAvoy and they were talking about Irvin Welsh's involvement in the film and Irvin Welsh apparently he is yeah, he's adapted some of his work for the screen before and he wasn't very happy with it. It might have been, I think he might have written the screenplay for one of the stories in the movie of The Acid House, which it's not a great film, um, The Acid House. It's, mm. it's got its moments, but it's, it's, it can be, it's a bit tough. You know, he, he only really got involved after he saw the script, but he, um, and he obviously liked the script and stuff, but he, uh, they put him in in a cameo, but apparently he's a terrible terrible actor so well so they've seen him in yeah in the acid house <laughs> oh and train spotting as well yeah and train spotting too yeah <laughs> Well, according to John Baird, in an interview with Edith Bowman and James McAvoy, he says he's a terrible actor. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, I don't know how everyone else feels about that uh, appraisal of his acting talents, um, but it, it may um, it may determine whether John Baird directs any more of everyone else's work in the future. Oh, but I mean, he just tweeted recently that he should have won an Oscar for his direction in filth. So I think yeah. he's he's still on good terms. Uh, one person that I was uh, upset to see 
in the cast list, but it doesn't appear in the film. But he does appear in a deleted scene, which I saw on YouTube, is Sanjeev Kohli. Yeah. Like, like Naveed. Have you seen yeah. the, the scene that was cut out? I don't think so, no. It's, because it's, he's named as a character in it. Uh, you know yeah. what I mean? This character he's, has a name. Uh, when they are flying to Hamburg and uh, Blady and they're speaking about anal sex and <laughs> sucking cock, <laughs> the the couple behind them it, it yeah. just kind of is muff kind of upset looks yeah there is a deleted scene where they actually the guy complains and it is in the book and it, it plays out exactly as it does in the book right that bruce kind of turns around and he's like are you asking me or are you telling me <laughs> uh, you know to stop and the guy says i'm asking nicely and he goes all right as long as you ask nicely and then when they get into the the airport it's like a connecting flight mm-hmm. they he goes into the toilet and bruce follows him in and shows him his police id and says mm-hmm. look i'm really sorry we were speaking about that to try and trap the businessman sat in front of us because they're like in a child pornography ring right and he convinces the american passenger to go out and shout at the guys and call them pedos and sex traffickers and stuff <laughs> to, to raise a scene and yeah. one of the businessmen is Sanjeev Kohli <laughs> and they're bemused and the guy goes off at them calling them sick perverts and then the security come and he's like yeah he told me to and Bruce is like you know harassing me on the plane as well I've no idea he's <laughs> a fucking yank <laughs> <laughs> so yeah poor Sanjeev Kohli I, I say listed but yeah cut out unfortunately uh, uh, the other big one that my wife was like oh uh, was Jonathan Watson as the death sergeant yeah and I'm thinking yeah that's <laughs> I think that's what's known as a fleeting appearance. <laughs> she uh, she loves two doors down. So to see Jonathan Watson there straight away, she's like, oh. <laughs> uh, so yeah, as I say, I showed the uh, the trailer to my wife initially before we watched the film to see if she would like it. Mm-hmm. And she did. She liked the trailer. She said, yeah, that looks good. Let's watch it. And I did read an online review, which was basically exactly what my wife said. It's not like the trailer. The, <laughs> yeah. the trailer makes it look like a kind of fun, it's going to be a, a little romp in fact what was the exact quote i saw on the trailer oh yeah i, I read this quote online that said yeah the trailer makes it look like hilarious dirty cock goes around being a bit of a bastard but redeems himself in the end and my wife was very much the same she was like yeah i thought it looked like it would be a lot more fun but it's actually <laughs> pretty dark yeah oh it's <laughs> I was like yeah it's it's pretty rough um, and it, when it started because of course it starts with a, a Christmas song because it's Christmas and my wife was like oh is it a Christmas movie I was like well <laughs> kind of it's kind Santa of Christmas, Christmas. <laughs> yeah. yeah and yeah. The, um, the shop that McAvoy goes to uh, I think he's outside the shop and it's a Christmas shop right yeah it's oh, just the Royal yeah. we've been there yeah we bought a, a tree ornament there of a little Scotty <laughs> dog uh, it's right. open all year round this Christmas yeah. shop because it was August that we went there so yeah mm-hmm. th- it was uh, so it was very nice and it was like oh we been to that shop so it was uh nice to see but yeah very much uh not like the trailer no said it was going to be and i, I, just, I agree with that it does kind of set it up but it's, yeah yeah it's a fucking dark film just to touch on john baird for a minute so he he for me at least he sort of came out of nowhere a little bit you know, like he's, I know you you tried to claim him for Aberdeen at the top of the podcast, but he was actually born in Peterhead. <laughs> oh, it's the same thing. It's just the same. It's Aberdeenshire, basically. He's an Aberdeen his, fan, so it's fine. His career as a director. So his film before uh, Filth was in 2008. So six, uh, five years earlier. And it was it was Cass, about Cass Pennant, the West Ham yeah, hooligan. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah it's quite it's good. 
it's not a bad film at all. And then, you know, so he does Filth as his next big feature film. He, d- he does a few, a bit of television stuff. He did a, an episode of that vinyl that you told me that I should watch, which I definitely will. And then, but his next feature film, perhaps as far away as you could possibly get from Filth, is a biopic about Laurel and Hardy in their, yeah. one of their last tours of the UK. And now, the film that he's working on at the moment, which apparently is going to come out on uh, Apple, Apple TV is all about the video game Tetris, which he uh, filmed in Glasgow, isn't it? Aberdeen. He filmed oh, Aberdeen. parts oh, of yeah, it was Aberdeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He filmed some big. He filmed some big chunks of it at Aberdeen University and uh, somewhere else. Um, so I remember uh, our mutual friend who I mentioned in the Shangalang story earlier on. Remember him? He was sort of quite excited that um, there was a big film being directed in town. Actually, John Baird has said since that he really enjoyed the experience of directing in Aberdeen, get close to home, and everything else. And he hopes that it uh, puts Aberdeen on the map a little bit. As a as a somewhere to shoot big films, you know, because like Glasgow, and over the last few years, has become a bit of a place to shoot movies. They they've had it doubling for. I think they're shooting Indiana Jones there right now. The new Indiana Jones film. Yeah. It's doubling for. It's doubling for uh, for New York City in the nineteen sixties. So yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm quite excited to see what 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 he does uh, next, John Bear, because mm. it's not really like he's got a type of movie that he makes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. filth, Stan and Ollie. And now a, a movie about a video game. Yeah, very different types of movies, you know. And I was going to say quite big gaps between the films as well. Like he yeah. does seem to have maybe a three, four year gap in between each film. So he takes his yeah. time, obviously. He works on the script as well, and you know he's, he's mm. he, you know he's so he, he's involved in all the elements of the production. So I guess there's a couple of years of prep before you roll the cameras in a movie. I think, right? I mean, I I think the the one character we haven't really spoken about too much, and I did touch upon him earlier as being kind of the voice of the tapeworm is Jim Broadbent Mm. as Dr. Rossi. What is that accent supposed to be? Australian, is it not? Yeah, I I couldn't work out if it was Australian or... Yeah, hello, Bruce. And I guess that uh, that's a good point because that would nip into... Again, it's never really mentioned in the film, but in the book, he's been in Australia for six years, I think, or something. Yeah, Yeah. Um, as a policeman. So that would would make sense, actually, why the Mm -hmm. Dr. Rossi is Australian. Those scenes are very well shot. Almost, I could only describe them as like Kubrick-esque, those scenes. Reminds me very much of like a Stanley Kubrick... like almost like a clockwork orange type way they're filmed just a bit odd but surreal well it's funny you should say that because there are two kind of Kubrick things which Beard uses the trailer is a lot like the clockwork orange trailer which just it just mm-hmm. shows little flashes of action, like a few seconds, like very, mm-hmm. very fast edits all cut together. But also, and this is on the internet, in this, so, you know, it might not be true. I've not fact-checked <laughs> it. But in the <laughs> in the scene where the, the hallucination scene with Dr. Rossi, the giant jar of pills has the code CRM115 written on each one of the pills. And the code is one different... One digit different to CRM one one four from Doc from Doctor Strange Glove and mm. CRM one one four from a Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange, yeah. So yeah, so and you mentioned earlier, Toll's got the two thousand and one poster up. I mean, I'm yeah. sure. I think Kubrick uh, is a is you know is obviously a big influence on a lot of but a lot of modern directors. You know what I mean? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it was a wee a wee homage from uh, John Baird, you know, to his favourite director. Let's talk a bit about the music as well in the Mm -hmm. film, because in the book, 
Bruce listens to a lot of Saxon and <laughs> Michael Bolton and Curtis Steigers. But the soundtrack for this film is quite incredible. Like you have Tom Jones, Wilson Pickett, Wizard, Felix, yeah. Culture Beat, Dr. Albin, David Soul, Shaken Stevens, <laughs> Billy Ocean, Ocean, and Mozart <laughs> as well. Quite a, a collection of, of music there. Uh, it, really good. Like it's, it's a great soundtrack as well. And you kind of get into the, the film. It's all, you know, kind of perfectly placed. Oh, and of course, I forgot about Nita, 99 Red Balloons. When yeah. They are, the, uh, they're in Hamburg. Which is, I would say, without a doubt, that is my favourite scene of the film. When and I, I laughed so much, and then when I showed my wife it, she burst out laughing. And I think it's my favourite line of the film, is when they're sat having a beer, and Bladesy's looking through the guidebook, and McAvoy just says, get in the fucking index and look up fucking Fanny. <laughs> and then when he takes the camera, and he says, I need to take a picture of what a cunt looks like. My wife burst out laughing and I was I was so happy I was so proud because genuinely that's one of my favourite bits of the film it's just it's, it's just the way you get in the index and look up fucking Fanny get in the fucking index and look up fucking Fanny the Reaper Barn the Red Light District need to take a picture of what a cunt looks like Apparently with the music, so they got um, Clint Mansell, who's, I guess he's most famous for working with uh, Darren, when and murder his name, Aronofsky, who did Black oh, yeah, Swan. Yeah. They, weren't sh- they, they, they wanted him for the movie, they weren't sure they'd be able to get him. But he really wanted to be, and he really wanted to be involved as well. Um, so they, this, like the score is all by him. But he's also he's got a brilliant version of "Creep" by Radiohead, which is in the last, the sort of closing moments of the song, where he performs it with a singer called Coco Sumner. Don't know if she's any relation to Bernard Sumner from New Order. She might be. Called. No, it's uh, Sting's daughter. Oh, of course, Gordon Sumner. Yeah, because that's Sting's show. And Trudy Styler, yeah. Sting's wife, is one of the yeah. producers. She plays the the madam in the brothel in Hamburg as well mm. I believe mm-hmm. um, yeah so they, they and what, what they said was they would expect when they were going to meet Clint Mansell like John Baird and James McAvoy they, because he's got a reputation for these sort of sort of gothy sort of dark movies they were expecting this really weird guy to show up but apparently he's the most nicest most down to earth guy you can imagine saying nothing like you would expect given his uh, the, the, the sort of themes of his work and stuff you know given McAvoy and he does deliver an amazing performance and I wouldn't want anyone else to have the role. But yeah. the only person I could imagine playing that role other than him now, and it, it couldn't happen because of the shared universe, but it's be Bobby Carlyle. Yeah, I was just thinking when you were saying that there, Bobby Carlyle, it'd be absolutely brilliant. Couldn't happen because no, too he's too iconic as Begbie. Yeah, yeah. But he would have been fantastic in this yeah. role. I, yeah. Not to take anything away from McAvoy, I would not change McAvoy for anything in, in no. this because he is fantastic. And the, the dedication that he went to, like it, even when you look at his nails, like they're so, mm. you know, he's obviously chewed them off and they're stumpy, yeah. the greasy hair, the big ginger beard. Apparently, I did read that he was drinking half a bottle of whiskey a night <laughs> before he went to bed so he would look permanently hungover. And yeah. in the state, and okay, that's not a bad dedication to go for, but it, yeah. it's going to take your toll after a few weeks of filming. I, sure. As I say, I wouldn't replace him, but the only other person I could think of would be Robert Carlyle. He would have been really good in this. Another actor who might have been who might have been good in the past. I think he's maybe sold his soul a little bit in terms of the movies that he makes now. But sort of rock and roller 
error, Jerry Butler might have been quite good. Before he sort of, he seemed to kind of give up and just want to make like these like ridiculous action movies about the president and submarines and all that kind of thing. But at one point, he looked like he was going to be quite an interesting actor. I could you see that I mean? actually. I'll give you yeah. that. Yeah, I, c- I yeah. could see that. Not now. Yeah. I don't think. Of it. I don't think he would no. get a he would get a role like this now. Yeah, he seems to be all the sort of actiony parts he does now, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, I don't think he would. Uh, yeah, be fit for that. Um, yeah. And of course, we haven't even spoken about I'm jumping all over the place, but speaking about uh, Jamie Bell as Ray Lennox. Mm. Of course, they are making the Ray Lennox spin-off book Crime into a TV series, and it's. Dugray Scott that's playing ah, Ray Lennox, is it? Right, yeah, you're right. Is it is it a TV series or a movie? I think it's a TV series. Yeah, it's a it, it's like a six part or something uh, TV series. I think. Right. Okay. Sure. I mean, that's that's quite. Let's have a look on IMDb. Uh, yeah, it's a six part TV series being filmed yeah. in Glasgow and Edinburgh. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I mean, Welsh has mentioned it a few times on um, Twitter and. Instagram. He's quite excited about it. He's, I think he's been, he's he's been to the production and stuff and seen a bit of what they're doing. He's quite excited. I mean, it'd be good to see Dougray Scott. I mean, and uh, mm. we don't, I don't think we see enough of Dougray Scott anymore. He, he seemed to be at one point in the early two thousands. He seemed to be poised for all co- all sorts of wonderful roles. But uh, well, he got fucked over in Mission Impossible too. I think. I think yeah. that hampered his career because you know, I mean, it's a well known fact that he was cast as Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he had to pull out because Mission Impossible 2 ran over. That's so right, they had yeah. to give it to Hugh Jackman. Hey, I can't imagine anyone else as Wolverine and Hugh Jackman, no. but can you imagine if, if Degree Scott had pulled that off, then... I know, I know. You know. I know. Uh, but yeah. yeah, we don't see enough of him. And yeah, I'm excited to see this because I, I think, as we've spoken, as much as we love Irvin Welsh's books, okay, train spotting, can't take anything away from that. That is, mm-hmm. without a doubt, the pinnacle. We've had The Acid House and Ecstasy, which aren't great films. No. I think filth is is very much a, a kind of worthy number two. It depends if you're putting Trainspotting 2, if you're taking that as porno. I think filth is a better movie than Trainspotting 2. I think Trainspotting I 2 is good. It, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a good film and it, it has its moments, but I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll do a T2 at some point, but it's what I, oh. I, I, I did enjoy it, but there was just something a little bit unsatisfying about Trainspotting 2. As much as I enjoyed it, oh. maybe, maybe it's because it, I was I was a, I'm, I am a big fan of the book, uh, porno but I don't know there was just it just there was just something a little bit unsatisfying about T2 that I can't quite put my finger on so then we're going to get a TV series of crime but is mm. there is there another Irvin Welsh book you'd like to see made into a film or a TV series I'd love to see Glue made into a TV series but like a yeah. sort of a sort of our friends in the north sort yeah. of you know like like a different year every episode you know what I mean following these characters I would I would love I would love that I, you know, I don't know that maybe one day somebody will do it um, Glue is such a a massive kind of body of work yeah. that book it's so good and yeah it, it's crying out to be made and I'm surprised it hasn't been I mean yeah. purely for my selfish reasons I'd love to see a decent ride made into like a little mini series but I can't see that happening I guess it would yeah. Maybe uh, yeah. unless Robin Asquith kind of comes out of retirement, it could be like a confessions of a window cleaner type scenario where you've got Juice Terry driving his taxi. <laughs> I think Glue is probably my favourite Irvin Welsh book, and it it, it it might be one of my favourite ever books. You know, it's definitely in my top ten. But yeah, I would love to see I'd, I'd love to see Glue turned into a sort of maybe like a six or eight part 
you know, kind of sprawling um, kind of story about those characters. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah, it would be very good. I agree with you on that. Oh well. Um, yeah. Anything else on filth? You think no, uh, anything I, else that's popped up? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I, I did see some a few spurious facts um, online. Apparently, the the alley scene after the Christmas party, there there wasn't any directions in the screenplay. It was just called shit reservoir dogs. Apparently. I can see that. Yeah, the way <laughs> yeah. they come round the corner. You're very right. That is, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty true. Yeah. Apparently, the obviously we we haven't mentioned it, but the credits at the end of the film is you know it's a it's a little cartoon with about a little piggy. Yeah. Apparently, the the mountain range in the background has been painted to look like a profile of James McAvoy's face. I have to go back and look at that because I didn't see that the first time around. Apparently, in the first draft, the scene with David Soul, the song was was going to be I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. I think oh. they made the right choice going, going with uh, Silver Lady. And apparently, Irvin Welsh was the one that chose it. Okay, yeah, because uh, I want to know what love is by foreigner is mentioned in the book. That's one of the yeah the songs that Bruce listens to with a shit taste in music. Actually, that's, that's doing that a disservice. I fucking love that song. I think <laughs> probably because of Grand Theft Auto Vice City as well has a big part yeah. to do with it. Yeah, and I, I I think I think Shirley Henderson is. I don't know. She hasn't. She's not. And I was going to say she's appeared in every adaptation of a Irvin Welsh book, but she's not in um, the Acid House or Ecstasy. Oh. So that's not true. So she's only appeared. In two, then. three, three. She's in. She's in. Um, she's in T two as well, isn't she? Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, it's, uh, Spud's okay. Spud's ex partner or ex wife, yeah. whenever we really confirm Gail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Should we put Phil through our Swally Awards? Let's do it. Let's go through the awards. What have we got first? All right. Well, in no particular order, the Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. What did you have? I mean, it, it it's only one of two. It's either Chrissy because she is naked a couple of times or yeah. I'm actually going to give it to the cocks on the wall in the photocopier. <laughs> okay. All right. I had to see I... five male cocks. So <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. I'd, I'd given it to Kate Dickey. Uh, for that one the Jake McQuillan your Tizu award who did you choose I, I was torn between two it's either Chrissy punching Bruce in the face before she molests him towards yeah. the end of the film because it is a hell of a punch she delivers yeah. something either that or Bruce chucking Martin Compson out the window because that is quite unexpected when yeah. if you haven't seen it before and it does happen mm. just kind of all of a sudden and I guess that is kind of a your Tizu moment so yeah. they'd be my two what about yourself? I had uh, Doogie uh, punching Ingalls in the private room in the bar when he thinks that he's uh, homosexual and he knocks him clean out. And what is it he's Get your face off my cock! <laughs> yes. Um, the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. There's a few people here. Um, we mentioned mm. Brian McCarthy earlier on. I think he is he is a strong contender, but I also think that Shirley Henderson and Gary Lewis are quite strong contenders as well. Yeah, I well, you probably won't allow the two people I've put down because they are <laughs> blinking, you'll miss it kind of moments. I've got Jonathan Watson, and I've actually got Ron Donaghy as well because he plays Hector the farmer. But again, it's very much a blink and you'll miss it in the Masonic yeah. Lodge kind of scene. So yeah, I had Gary Lewis as my third kind of choice because he does have more of a, a main part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right, Shirley Henderson could be a, an option as well. Contender. I was going to ask you, actually, what is it that Bruce buys off Hector the farmer? Is it porn? In the, in in the, the lodge. book or in the film? In the lodge, in the he film. slips... Um, 
a white powder into his pocket. Ah, so right, it's okay. drugs. Right, it's drugs. Okay. But obviously in the book, it's porn that he buys from him. And yeah. there is a whole scene where um, Bruce takes a, a prostitute to the farm to film some bestiality porn. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. With Hector's collie. But the collie is more interested in humping Bruce's leg. So Appar- Apparently they filmed... A scene of that. Oh, really? And it was and it I was cut out that. in that interview that I watched with McAvoy <laughs> and John Baird with Edith Bowman. They they said there, there there was a bestiality scene because she was because she said what were there any scenes that was there anything in the book that you felt you just just couldn't be in the film. He might have actually yeah. been he might have been joking when he said that they filmed the bestiality scene. You know, he said like it was one of the less awkward sex scenes that he's done with a collie dog. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, in in hindsight, he might have been he might have been joking. Um, so the Francis Begbie Award for best swearing. What did you have? Need to take a picture of what a cunt looks like. That's what I had as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's there are a lot of good instances of swearing in this film, and it is used yeah. to a very good effect. But that is without a doubt the it's it's the standout moment for me. That I love that scene so much. Uh, just the disposable camera, and it's the type of thing you would just say in the pub. And I yeah. wish I'd kind of had that before. You know what I mean? And I would have used yeah. that a lot of times. I I almost had the his description of uh, Peter Ingalls as my choice. Like really early in the film when I was watching it and it's quite it appears quite early in the film it's like but what I call that fucking birthday I was like right that's my best swearing and then obviously later on um, we've got the scene in Hamburg archetypal Scottish moment what did you have well I thought about putting the Masons scene yeah because yeah. it's quite Scottish but for me it has to be it, it's the opening not the Asian student getting murdered but he's walking out of Edinburgh Castle mm-hmm. and he's walking down the street and it's the family that he sees of they're all ginger the mum's pregnant <laughs> she's smoking oh no the daughter's pregnant she's smoking the mum's eating a a chip supper and the the dad's drinking a a half bottle of Buckfast that for me and it's the whole speech of it's beautifully done in terms of the train spot and you get renting shite being Scottish and in this McAvoy is like Scotland this nation brought the world television the steam engine golf whiskey penicillin and of course the deep fried Mars bar It is great being Scottish. We're such a uniquely successful race. I've written here Masonic question mark and then I've written smoking prego (laughs) 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 and then I mean I think it's a bit of a misnomer here the the Sean Connery award for who got to go home and fuck the prom queen otherwise known as who won the movie it's going McAvoy he runs away with it of course he's amazing he's so good and I'm so impressed with his performance in this like really really good the only scenes that he doesn't appear in are the kind of carol scenes when Mm. it's shown it's uh, Sean and McDonald um, as uh, as his wife Carol, but he's in, he's in every other scene in the film. You know, yeah. every single scene. Yeah, they, 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 like we said before. I mean, I think it might for me at least. It might. I think it's his best performance so far. You know, I know they we said we've gone over it at, at length, but you know, Split is good. Mm. He's good in Split, all the different characters and stuff, and in the sequel Glass. But I don't know. I think in in terms of a realistic, you know, layered performance. 
Like, he, he plays a guy who, in a less sort of skilled actor's hand, you just couldn't root for. I mean, like you you, you, you mm. don't want Bruce to commit suicide at the end of the film. You know, no, you no, you, you want him to you want him to find a bit of redemption. You know yeah. what I mean? And you're sort of uh, it's sort of teased at you a bit with his the the sort of relationship that he starts to form with um, Joanne Froggett's character, who's also doing a pretty mm. good Scottish accent. To be fair, Joanne oh, yeah. Froggett. Yeah. Um, you know, the, as as the widow and everything like that and you think you know maybe this is his chance to sort of redeem himself and sort himself out and all that kind of thing and then he ends up hanging himself with the scarf that she makes him say thank you for trying to save her husband's life you know what and i mean as you it's say it's it is tough because he's teetering on the edge and you see yeah. the silhouettes at the door and you're thinking oh god oh god and then it's yeah. just a look to the camera same rules apply boom yeah 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 um, yeah yeah it's fucking horrific but yeah I, I agree you are kind of at the end like oh don't do this bruce don't do this come yeah, on because yeah, yeah. you do think he has maybe kind of seen the light and maybe mm-hmm. is going to redeem himself but no but yeah mcavoy yeah. is just incredible in this film yeah wholeheartedly agree and saying that in terms of uh performances you know a film i've never actually seen that he's in is last king of scotland oh, would I've that count that. as a swally film because technically yeah. he plays a scottish um doctor and it's directed by a scotsman and, as well andrew mcdonald so, yeah yeah i mean i know it's set in uganda but yeah, is it with that class as a, a Swally film? Listen, I think if Highlander qualifies a Scottish as a Swally film, <laughs> we can definitely we can definitely do Last King of Scotland for sure. Okay, I'll I'll mark that down for the future. I've never actually seen it, so yeah, I saw it years ago when it when it first came out. It's, it's a it's a good film. He's he's good in it, McAvoy. Fantastic. Um, okay. Um, so I picked Filth, so it's your choice next time, Greg. So what are we going to be looking at next time on the Swally? Well, I think you'll be pleased with my selection. Um, so obviously, well, maybe it's not obvious. Obvious to people in the know, like you and I, the long-awaited third season of Succession is coming towards the end of the year, October. And we had a little bit of we've had a little bit of Brian Cox in recent Swally things. We've done obviously a shot at Glory and Braveheart where he pops up, but we've not really had a Brian Cox lead thing. And we've been doing a lot of movies lately, so I thought for a little change of pace, we would do Bob, the first series of Bob Servant Independent. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. I've been wanting to watch that again. The first series, I think there's only like three episodes, I think, in the second series or something, isn't there? Uh, we'll need to check three. that, but we could maybe do the whole lot. I don't know. Let's is, clarify yeah, that later. There is three, yeah, there's three, there's only three episodes in the second series. So yeah, we can do... Well, let's fuck it. That's only... It's only four and a half hours um, of okay. watching. That's easy to do over the space of a week and a, a week and a bit. So yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's, okay. do it. let's do it all. Oh, Get magic. Our... Oh, oh, I'm looking forward to that. I do. I did love a little bit of Bob Servant. And Jonathan Watson again. Christ, he's going to be racking up the swally tally now because he was yeah. in filth and now he's in this. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Brilliant. I can't wait to watch that. Uh, well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Much appreciated. Uh, why don't you give us a a little follow on uh, iTunes or, or wherever you download your podcasts or give us a little rate, review and subscribe. And if you'd like to get in touch with us about anything you'd like us to review in the future or if there's any new stories that you've seen, not about wanking though, we're having a wanking ban at the moment, then you can drop us a line on cultureswally at gmail.com and why don't you follow us on Instagram at cultureswallypod and you can follow us on Twitter as well. We're not very active but we will try and make an effort if you follow us at Swally Pod. And we have a website as well, Greg. What's the website details? We have a website. Uh, you can find us at Culture Swally Blog. 
com, where you can find links to all the episodes we've done so far, including this one, plus links to some of our favourite news stories over the last uh, 20, what we on, 23 episodes, no, 27 episodes now. I'm sure that I'm sure there's probably a few about masturbation on there, if that's your thing. Um, and also you can keep on top of the swally tally um, to see who is racking up the credits and our reviews. Fantastic. All right, well, thanks very much. I'm off to go and get my Bob servant on. <laughs> Until next time, Greg. Until next time. <laughs> you do it, man. No. Oh, come on, get a try. No, no, oh, come really. on, it's Christmas it's time, man. Oh, come no, on, don't no. be such a fucking spoils for no. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Frank Dimebottom. Frank Dimebottom. My name is Frank